0: Father, we know that there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. We are saved by your name. We're saved by your grace. There is no other like you. And today, God, we give you praise. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. We gather here to worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just praise him together today? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Take your Bible this morning turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 will be our text for this morning. Um, As you're turning there, uh, every year for the past four years, we have taken our staff to, and and other people, not just our staff, but also um, uh, some of our leaders and anybody else who wants to go for that matter, to a conference in Dallas, it's called the Right Now Conference, and I love this conference because what it does for me, it recalibrates my heart for what we're supposed to be doing as a church. It resets my heart for the mission that God has given us, uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, if uh, I'm, I'm probably a lot like you, maybe you're a lot like me, I, I'm not real sure, but there are a lot of things in this world that... Um, that fights for our attention. And it's real easy for me to, uh, to, to go off in the, in the wrong direction and chase something that I shouldn't be chasing or do something that I shouldn't be doing or uh, looking for something that's really, really good instead of the things that are really, really, really of God and focusing on those only. Does anybody else connect with that at all? Going to this conference really brings everything back into view. That's why I love going there. And uh, it really just grips my heart every single time. And um, we thought about not going back after this year um, because we've been four years in a row. Uh, but this, hands down, was the best conference I've ever been to. And so, what I want to do is, I want you, um, whoever you are, uh, you may be a leader in our church. You may be a future leader in our church. You may be here for the very first time. But next year in November, November 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, right around in that time frame, we'll know here in a few weeks when the next conference is. But I want you to think about and pray about going with us. I'll take, we'll take anybody who wants to go. We'll, we'll take a Greyhound bus full of people if you want to go, all right? But it, it's just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal time of just being fed. It's a phenomenal time of worship, and it's a great time to connect together. And so if you're interested, at any time we'll be giving you the dates and we'll be inviting you to go, so you might keep that in mind, okay? It's so the Right Now Conference. It'll be in 2015 I know it's a long ways off, but it's awesome. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Last week, we um, were talking about unity. We're in a sermon series for, the, for like three weeks called Unify. And there's nothing that's more powerful than unity. When a group of people are unified, they are an unstoppable people. They're an unstoppable force. And in case you don't understand the power of unity, I want to show you a clip. I'm going to show you a little video, it's like a minute and a half long, that illustrates for us the power of unity. Take a look. hey I told you there's there's power in unity, right? Uh, I like cartoons too, so I thought you would enjoy that uh, but there is power in unity and uh, there's so much power in unity that it 's the one thing that Jesus prayed for for his disciples just before he finished his ministry here on earth. He prayed above all things that his disciples would have unity. These are the men that he was laying the ministry to he was putting the the ministry and the mission in their hands to take the gospel to the whole world. And for that to happen, they were going to have to have unity. They were going to have to be a unified group despite their differences, despite the diversity, despite the personalities that conflicted on a daily basis. The one thing they needed was unity. And as we look at uh, history, what I want to do today is I I, kind of just want to talk to you for a few minutes as a church and I want to talk to you about unity and I want to give you A history lesson so you'll kind of understand why we do what we do a lot of times we we get up on Sunday mornings we go to church and we come and we sing and we hear a message and we we shake a few hands we smile at people and we don't really understand really what church is all about but this is God's plan you say well how is this God's plan well that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna show you how this is God's plan Israel was God's chosen people very beginning, God had a plan for Israel to be His chosen people, uh, to, um, to have a special relationship with Him, to, uh, to love Him, to follow His commandments, to, uh, to, to be His people, and He would be their God and their King. And um, what you see is that the, the Jews had a calling to take this uh, relationship even beyond um, just between them and God. They were to take this this loving relationship and share it with the whole world. And um, Israel's purpose as God's chosen people was always to reach the Gentiles. Now you say, well, what's a Gentile? Well, a Gentile just... Gentiles really just means nations. Gentiles means nations, and so you and I are non-Jews, and so that makes us Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so um, God had developed this special relationship with Israel for them to ultimately take his love and his kindness and his grace and mercy to all the nations. And you can go all the way back to the beginning of time, the the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. You can go to uh, Noah and all of his sons and Abraham and his sons and how scattered and they... They populated the earth. And you say, well, if that's the way it happened, then isn't everyone like a Jew? No, not really. Uh, we're all kind of connected. But what it depends on is if when, you look at, when you look at history, it all depends on is like how you were connected and to whom you were connected. If you were really considered Jew and if you were really considered part of the covenant promise that God had given to these people. And what we know is we've we've been looking at scripture for the last several the last several months and we know that the promise to Israel was to give them a land and ultimately to make them a nation and then to give them a Messiah, to give them a king who would be Jesus and man it just it just goes on and on but what I'm trying to illustrate here is that all over the face of the earth there were non-Jews and then there was this small group of people that we knew and know as the Jews. And so uh, for hundreds of years, the Jews understood that they were God's chosen people, and they got it half right. They understood their identity, but they didn't understand their purpose. And if I was to take a poll in here, I, I would imagine that everybody in here, at least most of you, would raise your hand and say you were a Christian. And most of us would say, hey, I know my identity, I belong to Christ, and therefore I'm, I'm classified as a Christian. And fact most of our country claims to be christian we are considered a christian nation and the jews knew that they were jews and they knew they had a special relationship with god so they knew their identity but what they didn't know is what that relationship was for and in isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 this is what it says so what they didn't understand is that they understood they were to be in a caring and loving relationship with god but they didn't understand that they were to share it with the other people. And so Isaiah uh, 49 verse 6 says, It is too small a thing, and this is God speaking to the people of Israel through his prophet Isaiah. He said it's too small of a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So the purpose of Israel was not just to have a relationship with God and be these elite people that, um, that were untouchable. That's not their purpose. Their purpose was to develop this strong relationship with God and understand His grace and His mercy and His promises and to live those and then to share those with the entire world. And you fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus begins this ministry of transition. And that means he is taking all that God has done into a whole new level, into a whole new era, and he recruited a few guys. They were Jews. They were his disciples. And what disciple means is just a learner. They, they were followers. In, in that day, in, in the ancient days, there were rabbis. And rabbi just means teacher. And Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. And what what people who wanted to learn would do is they would choose a, a rabbi to follow. Hey, I want to learn from you. And the rabbi would say, okay, well, come and follow me. And so the rabbi didn't just sit down and teach a lesson, but he lived out his life and said, hey, come and follow me. As I'm living my life, I want you to follow me and do what I do. I want you to learn from me. And so the rabbi would walk and he would talk and he would teach and he would live and they would see it, they would hear it. And they would follow so closely that they would be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And that's how closely they would follow. And they would begin to do what the rabbi did. They'd begin to say what the rabbi said. And they would learn what the rabbi had to teach. And Jesus looks at these men, these few men, these twelve. And he says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And so they came and they followed Jesus. And they, they followed him as his disciples. Later they would be called the apostles because um, disciple is one who comes along to follow. And an apostle is one who is sent out to do a task or to accomplish something. And uh, they were sent out with the message later on. And through these men would be the beginning of what we know as the church. We are the church because of these men. And what they did is they took this simple message of good news that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that He, was, that he died on the cross for our sin and that He was buried in a tomb and He was resurrected on the third day and He ascended to the Father. And He did all of that that he, would, that he might give us hope of a life beyond life on earth. That He has created this place in heaven for us to come and live with Him forever and ever after this life that he would redeem us and he gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have that hope. And they began to preach this. They would preach it in the the temple courts. They would preach it in the streets. And they were mostly ministering to, to Jews. To Jews who were clinging to an old way, to an old law that Jesus came and fulfilled. But they were still clinging to it. They were still trying to practice it. They still believed that if they could just live a good life and keep the law, that somehow, some way, they would be able to experience eternity in heaven with God. But these men came and preached the next part of the story, that it didn't stop there, that Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, the law stopped, and now they were living under the law of grace. And it was a new way, and it was a law of love and a law of mercy. And they understood that they were to take this message and go into all the world and preach it. And what you see in Acts chapter 2 verse 36 is they began to do that. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. To all who are afar off. And that word of afar off just means to all who are not near God and don't have a relationship with Him. So that message and that promise is to all who are afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call. In verse 40 it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. It was added to them. 3,000 souls. And that counted uh, just really just men. It didn't take into consideration the women or the children. So... You're looking at 10 to 15,000 people who uh, received the word, who got saved that day, and began to follow Christ. They became disciples of Christ that day, and the church went from 12 to about 120 to about 15 to 16,000, all in the matter of just a few years. And it's because these men had a heart for for God, a heart for the mission that God laid upon them through Jesus and God united these people for the mission through Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. And they were one. They were unified. But they were still missing something. What they were missing was the Gentile. So they were people all of the, the same ethnicity, the same, uh, spoke the same language, kind of came from the same culture. But they were missing the Gentile. And if you know the Old Testament story, if you know their history... They had a hard time reaching out to the Gentile. They had a hard time reaching out to the nations. Because for hundreds of years, the nations were their enemy. You ever notice that when you read scripture? If you look at Jesus' life, Jesus is trying to minister to these people um, who are Jews. And these Jews would, uh, they thought that they were more holy than everybody else. And they would see someone and say, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Hey, I'm glad that's not my sin. I know my my sin seems very small compared to that guy. And in comparison, God must really love me because I'm really, really good. You ever feel that way? Probably not. I hope you don't feel that way. But these people looked at the people who were Gentiles, who were different, who weren't of the promise, and they really uh, concluded in their minds that they were good and they were holy and God chose them for that purpose. But what they were missing here is the gentile they were missing the people who had been their enemies for hundreds of years the people who were different the people who were uh, at the other end of the spectrum the people who would be difficult to love the people who would be difficult to reach and to communicate with and to live life with those were the ones that they were missing they had a hard time with it the church grew but for a long time the church struggled to bridge that gap between jew and gentile But God raised up a man, a Jew, who would bridge that gap. And his name was Paul. He's an apostle. He was kind of grafted in as an apostle later on, apart from the original 12. And Paul is famous for his preaching. Paul is famous for planting churches. Paul is famous for writing over a third of the New Testament. Paul Paul is a, um, he was the greatest apostle in my opinion. Uh, He was a man who was sold out for the gospel and for serving god and for preaching the message in the face of tribulation in um in trial but god raised him up and this is what he writes in ephesians ephesians chapter 2 so he's the ephesians were were gentiles they were non-jews and so this is what he says he's talking to the gentile he says in verse 12 remember that you were at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then in verse 13, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off. Remember, he says that this promise is for everyone who's far off. He says here, you were far off, and but now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, what? Who has made us both, One. Can you say that with me? Who has made us both one? And so what Paul is, is Paul is a Jew called to go reach the Gentiles. And he says, through the blood of Christ, he has made both Jew and Gentile to become one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore or thereby killing the hostility. God's plan, God's goal for his people, for all of his creation, is unity. Did you know that? It's difficult to be unified with people who are not just like you, Ephesians chapter 2 calls them strangers, that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he says all that, and then he comes to chapter 3, verse 4. A lot of people know that we can never explain God. We know that God is a mysterious God. You say, well, what is so mysterious about Him? What what is it about God that is so mysterious? He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then the next verse says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. Nobody can understand it. Why did God raise up these people called Israel and have this relationship with them for years and years and years? Because He needed somebody to take the light into the whole world, to share the truth and to testify about the character and nature and the holiness and the faithfulness of Almighty God. That's why he created Israel. He didn't choose Israel because they were better than everybody or because they were a better race, a better people. He didn't choose them for that. He chose them because he had a task that needed to be completed. And for some reason, he just chose them to do it. He chose them to do it. Every day, God is still choosing people. God has chosen you for whatever it is you do. To be who you are. He's gifted you. He's given you a personality um, that he's given you. He's given you the look. The body shape, the, the hair type, the whatever. He's made you just like you are for a purpose. Because he, has, he wants to accomplish something that only you can accomplish. And so, what I want you to see this morning is that um, I, I really just want to illustrate these, these differences and what God wants to do and, and how he does it. Okay? So, you know the story, you know the song. Now, God loves all the little children, right? So, he loves red and yellow and black and white. Brown's not in there, but he loves the brown, okay? He loves everybody just the same, and he's created us. Though we're different, God's love for us is the same. He's not a respecter of persons. You know what? God also loves those who are blue. You know who the blue are? They're the depressed. They're those who are hurting. They're hurting emotionally. They're they're down. They're discouraged. Uh, They feel unloved. They feel like they have no purpose. God also loves the green. The green are those who are ill. Those who are sick. Whether it's a physical sickness, a mental illness. God loves those who are ill. God loves everybody. God loves the poor. We'll say they're the poor, okay? God loves the poor. God loves the purple. The purple are the weirdos, okay? <laughs> God loves the weirdos. If God didn't love the weirdos, then God wouldn't love me because I'm weird. I'm different. I'm um, I'm I'm different than you. I'm different than people that I work with. I'm different from my wife. My wife and I are as different as day and night. And we've been married for almost 21 years. And we love each other today more than we ever have. But we're different. We have different opinions. We look at things completely different. I think she's weird. And I think, you know, she thinks I'm weird. I think she's weird. And we just make the weirdness work. God loves the weirdos. He loves everybody. And what he does is, is he takes all these things and he puts them all in one bucket. And this is against the law. I don't know, if if you were in kindergarten like me, we were told not to mix the colors. Right? But God takes them all and he just, he mixes all the colors. And um, he just rolls us all together and says, this is the way I want you to work. God loves diversity. God loves diversity. The reason God loves diversity is because it gives him the glory to know that even though we are different, that we can coexist, and we can love one another, and we can share life, and when we love those who are not like us, it just makes him happy. Amen? When we love people who are just like us, hey, that's easy. I think the Bible tells us that. But he says, hey, I want you to love one another. Despite your differences, I want you to work through this. In fact, Israel, I want you to go and I want you to take my love to your enemy. I think Jesus says, hey, love one another. Love your enemy. And you bring your enemy into your house. And you love him, and you feed him, you're kind to him, you're patient with him, and you forgive him. And I want you guys... To become one. You're my body. You know what I found is that. When you put all this stuff together. You really can never. Get. Each color back to its respective. Unique. Existence can you. And that's what God has done with his church. Hey I didn't think that would come out looking that cool. But that looks pretty good doesn't it. And when God looks at his Church that's what he sees. He sees different. He sees diversity. He sees individuals who speak differently, who deal with different issues, but he's called them to something that they're to share. And he calls us the church because he, you know what church means? It's a Greek word. It's ekklesia. It means the the called out ones. You're called out of what is your normal to come and do something that's abnormal. And on your outline today, I want you to write these things down. We'll be finished here in just a few minutes. The first thing is is we are called to be one in these few things. The first one is we are called to be one in our master. We're called to be one in our master, and Paul's ministry to the Gentiles took place during the glory days of the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, you'll know that they were characterized by one thing and that was power. They wanted power. Everybody wanted to be in power. Those who were the emperors, man, they wanted to be, they wanted to be master. They wanted to be lord. They wanted to be worshipped. And so almost every Roman emperor attempted to be that, to be in control, to, to dictate and to rule and to be worshipped, to be master. And the primary way they did that was by showing that they had what it took to unify a variety of nations and people groups. And they would bring them all in and they would, they would force them to coexist and be one. But what we know about forced oneness and forced unity is that it will fail. There's no power behind that. Jesus never forces his people to be a part of his church. He invites you to be a part of his church. He invites you to be willingly submitted as a church member to be a willing, submitted citizen in his kingdom. But he never forces it. And he says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, I will be your master, I'll lay out the rules, and if you'll follow this, it'll bless your life. It'll be abundant life. It'll be abundant life here, and one day I'll even take you to heaven and you'll experience the ultimate life possible. But you got to begin being a part of my kingdom here. And you've got to begin being a part of my kingdom, my way. And what's his way? Well, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And when you look at scripture, it's pretty clear that our master, our Lord, the lordship of God, comes through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're to submit to him. We're to serve him. It's his lordship. And but what Paul is saying in Ephesians is that God is the master. God is the master designer. He's the master planner. He has designed us precisely in his plan. And we have a common bond through the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace. That makes us one with him. We aren't him, but we're one with him. And it's in him that we find our identity. We're his disciples, his followers. We do what he did and we do what he says because he's our master. We're submitted to his will, because he's Lord. And we have to be united in that as the church. When we, when we are united in that, it says that he is the head of the church. When we are united as his body, with him as our head, we're powerful. It leads us to the second thing that Paul tells us that in in Ephesians is that we're also to be one in our mission. And as God's people, He's given us not just an identity, but He's given us a purpose. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is on earth? Have you ever wondered why God created you and what He created you for? Well, I believe I found my purpose, but I still often wonder if I if I missed it. Because I'm human. Is there something else, God? Am I, am I missing it? I mean... This isn't really that fulfilling. Being a shepherd of people often isn't that fulfilling. Feels good to get up on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon, but it doesn't feel real good when people tear it apart and break it down and tell you how bad it was. That doesn't happen all the time to me, by the way, but I know guys it does happen to. I don't want to be them. So if you have opinions, pray about it before you share it, okay? Okay. But you know what, it doesn't always feel good to be a pastor. It doesn't always feel good to be a husband, and it doesn't always feel good to be a father. And it doesn't always feel good to be a friend. And you know what, I've worked. I, when I was younger, when I was like 20 years old, I worked a secular job. It didn't always feel good to go to work. In fact, it never felt good to go to work. But I had, I had to come to grips with what God had called me to do. And what I understood is God called me to be on a mission. It wasn't Brian's mission. It wasn't Brian's plan. It wasn't my blueprint. It was God's blueprint. And he created me for a specific place in his plan. And he did that for you as well. And what he is talking to, um, what he's saying to the Ephesians is that they're to be on a mission. And what i found is that there are a lot of causes to champion. Have you ever noticed that? There's the, the there's AIDS, there's um, abortion, there's adoption. There are there are illnesses like cancer. Uh, right now it's Ebola. I mean I got all this stuff popping up on my on my screen. If I want to donate to uh, Ebola to fight Ebola, well not necessarily. Um, um, that's not my cause. So I. So I Judge me if you want. I don't donate to the Ebola cause. Um, but there are a lot of causes. There's, there's, um, there's hunger. There's human trafficking. There's uh, the sexual identity thing that's going on today. It's homosexuality and mental health and all these things. Hey, Bill Gates is going to give this year $500 million to fight diseases like malaria hey, that's great. Those are great things, but they're not the main thing. They're not the main thing. Here's what I want you to understand is the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the root of every cause. It is is the thing that can take care of every cause. It can release the addict. It can heal the mentally hurt. It can heal the one who is emotionally distressed. It can do a work in your life that is mysterious and miraculous and it'll set you free. Because it says that, that there is, there's freedom in truth. If you, if you know the truth, then you'll be free. You'll be free indeed. That the truth will set you free. And that truth is the truth about Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, verse 7, he says, Of this gospel... He's not talking about a cause. He's not talking about overthrowing the Roman government. He's saying of this cause, and what he was talking about, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That just means all of His truth, all of His blessings, All that he is and all that he has. Unexplainable. The unexplainable, unsearchable riches that we can never even comprehend. We boil it down to a trip to heaven when there's so much more to be experienced in this life personally. And then look what he says in verse 9. Why did God have a relationship with the Jews? that they would bring light to the nations, right? Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What's our mission? Our mission is the gospel. Our mission is the gospel. Why do you come here on Sunday morning It is to worship God. It is to hear God's word. And it is to be filled and fueled for the mission that God has put you on. In case you don't know your identity, in case you doubt it, your identity is not who you are in the flesh. It's who you are in the spirit. Jesus Christ is calling you to repent of sin, lay your life down, and then come and follow him and be his disciple that you might experience real life and real freedom and real truth and real blessing all that he is and all that he has in case you don't understand your purpose in life it's right here it's right here hey you may feel like hey God's calling me to be a doctor God's calling me to be a lawyer God's calling me to be a an accountant God's calling me to be a counselor hey God wants me to work in the in the oil field God wants me to work in the in the uh, chemical plants God wants me to you fill in the blank that's not your identity and that's not your purpose Your purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To preach the gospel. To share the unsearchable riches of Christ. To give light to everyone. And to bring knowledge and understanding and wisdom to that mystery. You understand what I'm saying? Guys, listen. We live in a day... Where preachers get up here and put on a show and all these people think that they're they're celebrities and everybody wants a piece of them and they come for the show, they come for the band, they come for the music, they shake a hand and they leave and they go watch football after they eat lunch and they go carry on with their life throughout the whole week. listen, that's not who Clearpoint Church is. That's not who Ch- Clearpoint Church will become and if that ever happens, we shut it down. okay? can we just can, can we just establish that right now? That if we're ever off of the mission that God has put us on, that we just close the doors and put a for sale sign out there and sell the building and the, and the land and just move on and go join another church or another group and, and get fulfilled some other way? Can we, can we agree on that? Because God didn't call us to that. God called us to know that He's our master and He's given us a specific mission, and that is to preach the gospel, to live it before people and lead them to a life-changing relationship with Him very simple, sounds easy, but people lost their life for it. Are you willing to sacrifice your life and all your dreams and all your wants and all your plans for that? I am. And I just ask that you follow. I'm asked that you'll grab my hand and you'll come shoulder to shoulder and you'll say, let's do this. Let's do it. He also gives us a method He gives us a method in Ephesians chapter 3. There's a way that this is to be done. I'm going to share that with you and we'll be finished. Ephesians chapter 3, he gives us the method. It's in verse 14. For this reason, because I'm called to preach the gospel, and I know I can't do this on my own. I know that I will fail. I know that it will mean nothing if I do it on my own. But for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When we are unified in Christ, and we look at His method, what Jesus say about the greatest commandment? He said the greatest commandment is to love. You love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And in that relationship, he's going to teach you what real love is. He's going to teach you what forgiveness is. He's going to teach you what grace is and what mercy is and what kindness and peace is and what patience is. There's a lot to be learned in a relationship with God. Stewardship, what it means to give, what it means to sacrifice, and what it means to suffer. You love God and he'll teach you how to love people. That's the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even if he's your enemy. Even if he's different. And if you'll do that, God will create something beautiful and awesome and weird that we might not understand. But it'll bring him glory. And he'll be pleased with how you lived your life carrying out the mission that He called you to. So how are we going to do it? These aren't on the screen, but you can write them down. Three things. Number one, we're going to surrender to the Master. Number two, after we surrender to the Master, we're going to pray for wisdom and power to be fruitful and to be faithful to the mission. And number three. We're going to stay rooted in love. We're going to stay rooted in love. God's mission. Will not be accomplished. Outside of the boundaries. Of love. It's loving God. God and loving people. And hey, whoever you are, we love you. We may not know you, but we love you because you belong to God. And if you know me, and I know you, you may not like me, but I love you. I'm glad I'm your pastor. I'm excited. I'm really excited about the opportunity that God is giving us to be His family. To be partners in ministry, and my prayer is that God will plant a seed that'll take root and birth—not just a mission, but it will—it will—it will birth something that's that's huge and magnificent in His kingdom, not to just build a church in this local in this local uh, piece of property in Pasadena, Texas but he'll build something big and beautiful for his kingdom. Even if it's just two or three or more gathered in this building, that one day when we get to heaven, we'll know that we're faithful to his mission, faithful to our master, faithful to our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for...